Hi, and welcome to the Wealthy Travel Agent Podcast, where our mission is to bring you inspiring messages from people just like you who've succeeded in selling travel to help you become the Wealthy Travel Agent. I'm your host, Dan Chappelle, the leading authority on selling and sales management in the travel industry and the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Get Your Ship Together, The Wealthy Travel Agent Guide to Sales. The book is available internationally on Amazon.com, and if you prefer to listen to it, uh, it's available on Audible as well. You can learn more about my sales and business development programs and how they can help you become the Wealthy Travel Agent at WealthyTravelAgent.com. Today, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Rebecca Alessia, who is one of the, she calls herself 007. She's <laughs> one of the top sellers within the Smart Flyer program. Rebecca, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. It's very nice to be here. Well, I mean, it would be nice to be there, but it'll be okay to be here. That's how we have to today. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So um, we're in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 crisis right now, and um, times have changed. Things are changing in the industry. But let's start out with just, you know, how, who you are, how you got into the business, and you have achieved a lot of success pretty quickly in this business. And so, you know, our listeners really like to hear about the things that you did to get yourself to that point. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got in here first. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. So I'm what you call a recovering attorney. <laughs> I started out, uh, I was a practicing lawyer for 18 years and um, started working uh, sort of as a, I would call it almost a side hustle out of a love of travel almost eight years ago, and have uh, slowly and steadily, as I was working with SmartFlyer, my business increased every year over year, which is, should be everyone's goal. And um, over time, it became apparent to me that I couldn't really do both as efficiently as I wanted to. So uh, you got to go where your passion is. And I love travel, and I love advising clients on travel. And I've been able to transition over the past five years to make this uh, really my full-time profession, my full-time business, and, and it's been such a privilege to get to do something I love every day. That's fantastic. So what were some of the things that you did that, you know, got you started and then got you to the first plateau level that you were at? And then what did you do next and, and so on to get to, you know, because SmartFlyer is, is, is one of the organizations, it's a, it's a top organization within the Virtuoso Travel Network. And to be at the top of the top of that is a definitely a, a big feat. Well, and uh, I appreciate that. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I think SmartFlyer is so successful. But in terms of, you know, transitioning from law into travel, it's actually more of us than you would think uh, that have done that. And I think the skill set of an attorney totally lends itself to getting involved in the travel industry. And I think a lot of that has to do with attention to detail. When you're working as a lawyer, the most important thing is to listen to your client and then in order to service them properly, you have to execute everything exactly as they want it. And that's really what travel is all about. It's about getting to know your client, getting to know what they expect, and then executing it perfectly. Um, so bringing that with me and going to an organization like SmartFlyer, which is absolutely a top agency, and I think the reason for that is their mentorship program. When I came in, uh, I didn't know really what I was doing. It took me some time to get up and running. And so many other advisors there, certainly um, Michael Holtz, but also many of the other advisors who themselves had only been maybe doing travel four or five, six years, they helped me. Now they became the more seasoned experts. I became like a junior expert. And it's my privilege to help agents that are starting out. And I think that that's really 
by the way, I don't think it's unique to SmartFlyer because I've gone to lunches, you know, like a leading hotels of the world luncheon and I'll sit with another advisor from another agency and everyone is so willing to help and tell you how they've built their business and how they service their clients well and what they're doing to work better with their um, preferred partners and hoteliers. And that's the beauty of this industry. It's not a cutthroat, you know, there, there's none of that sort of bonfire the vanities mentality going on. It's really... It's really built on a love of hospitality and a love of wanting people to experience the world. Yeah. You know, I, a lot of folks think that it's a very competitive business and we're all going after the same clients and all that. And the reality of it is, is there's enough business for everybody out there, uh, particularly if you have a niche. Have you developed a, a certain niche within the industry since you got in here? Well, I, you know what? That's such an interesting question. I think that if you had asked me that when I started out, I would have told you that I was Mrs. Disney. Because when I started out, my son was young and that's mostly what I was selling, right? But I think that our niche market changes as we grow and as we age, because now most of my peers are either we're doing a lot of mitzvah moons um, or I have you know my friends whose kids are a little older now empty nesters. And so they're either doing that like one last trip, you know, you've 18 summers with your kids. So they're doing that one right. last 18th summer before the kids leave for college, or they're looking forward to that freshman year. The kids are away at school. Where are my husband and I going to go? So, I mean, I guess family travel is my specialty, but that, what that means has really changed uh, dramatically over the past almost decade for, for my client base. Yeah. And even with individual clients, they grow too. So clients that maybe the first year or two that they came to me were looking for, uh, you know, an all-inclusive in the Caribbean or like a real, an easy resort trip, their kids are only a year or two older, but now they trust me. They've learned how to travel with their kids and they now want to do Europe or Canada or something a little more developed. So you've, you've been able to travel a lot in what you do as well since you've, you've gotten into this uh, and you had a, a recent trip to uh, Africa. Uh, it's my, it was my second time in, uh, on the continent in Africa, and uh, I have been very conversant and used to selling South Africa. I think that's like the easiest entry point, like mm -hmm. the gateway drug of Africa for, for tourism, right? Because the lodges are very Western, it's very comfortable. We've got Cape Town, which is European. And um, so this last trip was our actually Smart Flyers top performer trip, and uh, we went to the top 10 to Rwanda to go gorilla trekking, which was just, uh, it's such a bucket list experience. And uh, it was something that was well outside of my comfort zone. I mean, I'm not an athletic person by any means. Like, You're a mountain climber. I am a couch sitter. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the beard fool you guys. <laughs> so the trip itself, it, it is, that country is so special and it's about so much more than just doing the trek to see the gorillas. I mean, really, especially as someone who grew up in the 80s and was kind of coming of age during the genocide that went on there and mm -hmm. watched it on television. And then to go there and really uh, speak one-on-one -on -one with people who were so badly impacted by it, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience uh, and connection to humanity and all of the the horrible things we can do to each other, but also our tenacity as people to rebuild society. So to have all of that, uh, and then, you know, at these amazing one and only resorts in the middle of a mountainous range, and then to the, the last day that we were there was when we did the actual gorilla trek, and it was just, 
incredible and the physical challenge of it and then getting there and you have 40 minutes to really sit and observe this family of of animals that have just lived there for years and years it's i can't say enough good things about it so how do trips like that help you sell products whether it's you know because this is like this is one of those trips that's just you know on a bucket list and and how does you know will you be able to sell trips like that because of that experience or i think it is so much harder to sell them when you haven't done them so a trip like this one where i got to uh you know we went through kenya which is another city i had never another country i had never been to uh to go through nairobi and Uh to see a little bit of what coming in and out of that country is like and what the airlift is like in and out and how easy it was and that there's ample safari opportunity there. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, I've mainly sold South Africa, but wow, this is incredible. And you can do safari here and then pair it with Rwanda. So if I hadn't gone there, I never would have made that connection. I never would have started thinking about this as also an excellent entry point and an excellent thing to propose to my clients. And especially, um, you know, as I'm saying to you, for someone that is not super athletic, it was a little bit of a challenge. But I have clients that like loved Machu Picchu. This is a natural fit for them. Right. So it right. helps you to, to kind of make that connection. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, it's, it, I found that once you've experienced something like that, then man, you, you develop that passion for it. And, and I could hear it in your voice when you were, when you were talking about it. And, and it's, uh, it's the kind of trip that, you know, people just dream about. So you, as a, you know, you're 007, you're, you are the, uh, uh, towards the top of the, the list there with Smartflyer and Smartflyer is a, is a high producing organization within the Virtuoso Network, as I mentioned before, uh, which tells me that you probably got a pretty significant book of business there. And that book of business was probably impacted pretty strongly by the restrictions that we have due to the COVID virus. How did you, how did you cope with that? Well, it's interesting because you're the second person in two days to say that to me. How has your book of business been impacted? And here's the thing, Dan. The number of trips that I have in my pipeline and the number of trips that I had going has definitely been impacted. I've had about 80 cancellations, but my book of business is intact because I've been in touch with each and every one of my clients. I had people calling me for advice. I had people calling, you know, should I wait a little before canceling? None of my clients had to sit on hold with any airlines, with any cruise lines. And I, so I think my book of business is stronger than ever, even though temporarily we've experienced a setback in terms of who's actually traveling and you know trips actualized, actualized and money realized. Right, and I think you bring a great point there because I think a lot of our listeners, it's, it's a point that they need to take. You, your business isn't gone. It hasn't left you. It's just been, you know, to use the vernacular in the cruise industry, it's, it's on a pause. Um, and, and that pause is, yeah, they're not going to go this year, but they'll go next year and they'll figure and anything out what solidified. It solidifies any advisor's relationship with their clients. When you're able to help them in a time of crisis, we added a tremendous amount of value. And it, it, it creates a, a stronger personal relationship. And obviously people like to do business with people that they, they're comfortable with and that's going to lead to more referrals. And, and the fact that, you know, uh, you, you're, you're proactively doing that with them is incredible. So logistically though, I mean, 80 bookings is a lot to process. That's a lot to handle. 
how, how did you do that? Because one of the things that we were talking about previously was, you know, you don't do everything yourself. You've got a team, a virtual team, I think, that you work with between SmartFlyer and outside of that. Let's talk about that a bit because that's how you expand. That's how you get, people don't understand. You don't get a, a, a good-sized book of business by just doing it all yourself. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and then how they helped you when it came time to, to process all of these. Sure, and is it okay if I give them a shout out with your permission? Go, go for it. Oh, so, especially because you have a network of travel advisors. So I use virtual support solutions. They are uh, an amazing godsend to travel advisors. They specialize, their team specializes in servicing the travel industry in terms of back office production. And they do an amazing job, highly professional. And I definitely recommend them. And I'm going to tell you, couldn't have made it through the first two weeks of this crisis without Sarah and her team. We have been keeping uh, a list, a spreadsheet list of who has canceled because yeah, not everybody is canceling their flights at the same time they're canceling their hotels, right? It's like right. a game of chicken with these airlines. This yeah. time. <laughs> so, um, it's crucial, crucial for me to have a system where things are popping up and saying, hey, did you remember to check on Mr. and Mrs. Smith's air, even though their hotel was canceled, et cetera. So trying to keep a tight eye on that, um, making sure my invoicing is up to date so that smart flyer knows what money they have coming in and, and not. Administratively, it's been uh, a challenge for sure. So I, I you know, I think, and you use them regularly, not just during the cancellation part of it. So it's a, it's building the team that you trust. And, and when you make a sale, what happens then? Because if, if you're not doing the invoice and you're not doing all that stuff, what, what do you do? How, how, do, how do they work with you? Because I think this is important because we're in a business where independent contractors in particular feel like they have to do everything themselves and they don't trust others to do that. And I think that may be a big issue. And I, I think you can shed some light on that subject there. You know, what having, uh, whether it's a virtual team or an in-person uh, support system is so vital because your job really as an advisor is two things. First is to take care of your clients. Clients need to know they can call you, reach you, tell you what they want, tell you where they want to go. But secondly, you're also your own sales team, right? So if you're doing those two functions properly, there's almost no time left for the nitty gritty of the back office. Those are things like invoicing, putting your clients' itineraries together, making sure you're getting paid your commissions. Uh, you know, all of those things have to factor together and, and get done properly, not to mention your calendaring to make sure you know who's going where and when. Right. So having some type of administrative support to help you with those details um, and again, I use virtual support solutions and they, they do specialize in working with travel advisors and, and I think very highly of them, uh, although I'm sure there are plenty of other uh, ways to go about it. But for me, they've been a, a great help. So what, what you've done essentially is outsource the non-revenue producing activities that you have to do as part of what the work is in order to free up more time to work with more clients that way. Exactly. And that way I can really, you know, we talked about being detail oriented at the beginning of the call. Right. And so if I can really focus on designing these, the itinerary for my clients, making sure that their trips are rich and complete with their dining reservations and their museums and a schedule of where they might want to go shopping for their leather gloves or their um, fabric, whatever it is that they want to do, whatever makes your trip, your trip, Dan, mm -hmm. I need to focus on that. And if I don't have to focus on my spreadsheets, my invoicing, um, the mechanics of did I reply to this person or that person, if, if that can be taken off of my plate, I can really focus on the creative aspects of the job, which is the part I love. That's what drew me to it. 
So I love that because you work on really the things that are driving you in the business and, and outsourcing the other stuff there. So what, you know, let's get back to where, where you were kind of first starting. Um, how did you, how did you get customers when you first started? Super old school, old fashioned. I'm not saying this works for everybody, but I joined a networking group. I joined a physical networking group that meets every other week. I went in the same group with almost all the same people. I mm. love them all. They're, they've become like family. We're doing virtual Zoom meetings during this COVID crisis. Um, I got all teary eyed the first time we all got together. It was <laughs> so good to see them. Um, and they were the last gathering of people I was with before the quarantine in New York started. So, you know, it started out with um, it's just speaking to people there and saying to them, look, I'm, I'm sort of new at this and, you know, I can do your corporate travel, I can do your leisure travel. And what happened was uh, there were a couple of uh, accountants and attorneys in the group and they had me come in and I started doing a little bit of corporate work for them, which, by the way, I hate doing. And I freely tell people that all the time. <laughs> like, it's so boring. Do I care if you have to go to Atlanta to do a deposition for a hundred, you know, a hundred different times? and book a red roof in? No, of course not. But I was going in, meeting with their assistants, their admins, and helping them to take this off their desks and getting this done. Built the trust level, both with the um, major partners at the firms, the major uh, accounting partners, and as well as their administrative assistants. And over time, by doing that, I've been able to get their leisure business. So I have a subset. I really have two different almost markets within my book. I have a group of people that are professionals and, and you know, older and more established, and they're taking excellent trips um, you know, to exotic places because over time they grew to trust me beyond their corporate. But I also have a very young group of administrative assistants and, and other support professionals that started to book their stuff with me. And I, so I did first bachelorettes and honeymoons and all these like little cute things that the younger people were doing. So my network grew that way. And um, also through the other moms in my community that I met through my son's school. Uh, and, and it's been just a really personal growth business for me. It's all about personal referrals. Awesome. And so let's get back to the networking group, because I think a lot of folks are, are uh, you know, whether they've been around for in the business for a while or just getting started in it. Um, it's how did you choose the particular networking group? Because there's a lot of different networking groups out there. What, what was it about this particular group or what were you looking for in a networking group when you first decided to join? So I, the, the way that I chose my networking group is based upon two things. It really had to do with it being structured and organized and also how seriously the participants take their active role in the group. So I work with business impact groups. The owner, Jim Ferme, runs a business based on networking. So he has a number of these different councils and groups and they're very structured. And every week we have a different theme to the meeting. Um, I don't mean like, you know, funny hats and stuff like that. I mean, we have an actual, you know, you come in and work today, we're going to talk about LinkedIn as a system and how we can use that to help each other. Today, we're going to talk about virtual introductions that you can do for me with, uh, you know, people who your partner or spouse knows. So we have that we have accountability partners within the group. So you got someone calling you every week to be like, hey, did you remember to do these five good practices that we talked about? And then the other thing, and this may be controversial, but it is a, a pay to play group. You have to pay to be a member. And I think that makes people take it more seriously. And I've tried other groups as a, like a supplement. 
that it always seems like over time people stop going or maybe they stop participating here. We've all got skin in the game. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We do social, socialize, we have happy hours and things like that. But if you're paying to be in that room, you're absolutely going to take the most advantage of your time there. Now, you, you, we've talked about a lot of the success you've had in, in a short period of time. Did you experience any failures along the way, uh, any, any hardships, um, or has it just been a straight? <laughs> I wish it had. I mean, I think we all have setbacks. I would say a few of my biggest, some of which you and I have, have discussed previously, it's always a tough call with travel advisors about fees, right? Do you charge a fee or do you not? I don't charge a fee. I know that hurts your ears. That kills me. <laughs> and so what does happen periodically is that you get someone that you do a decent amount of planning for and they say, you know what, thanks very much, but I'm going to go in a different direction. Sometimes going in a different direction means they're taking your work product and executing the trip that you plan for them, but using an online vendor or, you know, whatever it is, points. So it's something that over time I've, um, try to talk to people about up front and, and get a good faith agreement that we're going to work together if, if I do the planning for them. At this particular moment in history, translating to some interesting conversations because with all of these cancellations, you know, happening all at once, had there been a fee, I would be in a much different situation than I am now. So that's an ongoing, uh, an ongoing internal debate for me. Um, I don't know that I'd classify it as a failure, but it's certainly an area where I, I'm looking and, and thinking about improvement. Yeah, and, um, and don't beat yourself over fees over this right now. Um, you know, a lot of folks aren't comfortable charging an upfront fee, but I think a, a change in cancellation fee is absolutely essential. But under these particular circumstances that we're dealing with right now, that's something that would probably, you know, get way. You'd probably waive it anyway. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I would be comfortable asking people for a cancellation, yeah. if it's, you know, but it's definitely. Um, yeah, if it's their decision to cancel, that's one thing. But it's, <laughs> the end of, you know, travel shut down and, and you know, it's, it's just the right thing to do. Uh, yeah. I, I would say, you know, other failures were in the beginning. I had a little bit of a lack of organization before I started working with an admin. You know, it was like just a tremendous amount of paperwork and, and, you know, that when that happens, things can fall through the cracks. My father-in-law always says it's not a problem isn't really a problem if it can be solved with money. And right. that may be true, but it was well, my money whenever I made a mistake. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And when you're, when, you know, these admins, they're not free. You're paying for them, but it also greatly increases your productivity when you do that. So it's a small 100%, investment. 100%. Then I would say one really interesting thing that's come about over the past month is having so much time to really have leisure time and time with my family. And I don't think I recognize this as a failure, but I think I had a big failure of time management. I think that I was working uh, until one, two, three o'clock in the morning, sitting up on my laptop, uh, you know, working on my computer when we were trying to watch a movie together as a family or um, on my phone at the dinner table. And, you know, having this time on pause really gives you a moment to say, you know what, maybe a little less money would be okay. Or maybe I would still be able to make the same amount of money, but it would just wait an extra day or two. And I'm really trying to incorporate some of that uh, practice into my, you know, my thinking on a go forward basis, whenever we get to whatever this new normal is going to be. I think all of us in travel have, we just tend to work twice. Wouldn't you say we work 24 seven, so we don't have yeah. to work nine to five. 
well, maybe we need to sort of reset our thinking on that. Yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with that. I think uh, putting up boundaries, you know, you put up your boundaries, people will respect the boundaries if you, t if you let them know ahead of time, you know, at the very beginning, I work from eight until six or nine to five, that kind of thing. People will respect that. But if you answer emails at, you know, midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning, well, by gosh, they're going to send them to you and they're going to expect you to do that going forward. So it's, it's important, I think, and this is something for everyone, is that remember, this is your business and you design your business the way you want it to be, not at the beck and call and mercy of what someone else wants you to do. You have and, to be the first one to respect your boundaries. Yeah. You have to respect your own. You, you're right. That's, that is a wonderful point. You have to be the first one to respect that because if you don't, they won't. And, and I, I love that. I'm going to use that going forward. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So tell me, um, you know, particularly since you, you're, you're fairly new, you know, five or six years in the business or so, um, what are three things that you wish you had known before you got into this in your entrepreneurial journey as travel professional that uh, you, you know now? Um, or would do differently? Yeah, the, the first would be don't be afraid to say no. And it's, that is still a lesson that I struggle with all the time, but I've gotten a lot better at it uh, over the past year where sometimes there's a trip that comes to you and I, it's not necessarily even on dollar amount because I certainly have clients that I would do, like I said, a night at a Red Roof Inn or, you know, but some trips you can just tell from the beginning are not a good fit for what you do. Mm -hmm. And whether that's, you know, because the budget is lower than you're comfortable with or because you think it's an unreasonable budget for one thing that comes to mind is like California coastal trips. They're very labor intensive and I love planning them because I love doing them. But when someone says to me, the hotels aren't important and I, I'm comfortable with staying in a motor lodge, that's not a good fit for me. Right. So I think clients uh, respect when you say to them, this is not something that I specialize in. Um, I had a very good client come to me recently wanting to plan a trip to Dollywood. And I was like, you know what? That's just, I, it's not within my wheelhouse and, and I, I love working with you and I thank you and I hope that I get to continue and I'm happy to advise you, but I think you'd be better off booking this one on your own. Yeah. It's hard to say, harder than you think. Yeah, and you can't add value. And I, and I think that's, that's really the goal is if there's no point in my getting involved if I'm not going to add value to my clients. So, right. so that would be the first. The second um, would be do air. Book air. When I started, I was so afraid of it. And, and I don't know why I got some like advice, bad advice maybe from some other advisors that were like, don't bother with air. Tell your clients you don't book it because it's a hassle to get involved with. But actually, if you really want to be a full service advisor, you need to do air. So find a good air team. We have our own at Smart Flyer. I love them. And they have been amazing throughout this whole, with all these cancellations, they're keeping everything straight. They're advocating for our clients. Yep. But even if you're not at an agency like Smart Flyer that has its own air department, there are other, there are consolidators out there. There are other things you can do. Book air. It's a great revenue driver. Your clients appreciate the service level, and you don't want to be losing them to the jet blues of the world. You, uh, real quick, do you charge a fee on the air tickets? We do. Okay. We do, but it's no more than American Express charges their travel clients. Okay. Yep. Yeah, no. Fair enough. Fair enough. And what's number three? 
Um, I'm going to go back to that. No, no. I'm going to go back to that setting boundaries thing, man. When you start out, you are afraid. You want every little piece of business and, and you figure if I don't get on, it's 11 o'clock. And if I don't book it for them, they're going to book it themselves through Expedia. Um, well, I think this last month, remember how we used to say, you used to get that question. What does anybody need a travel agent for in this day and age? I could just yeah. go online and do it myself. No one is going to ask that now. That question is dead. Because it is very clear right now why you would use a travel agent. We are professionals, and I think we deserve to be treated as professionals, and that has to start from within. It has to start with your own level of respect. Yeah. I think this, uh, the, the whole uh, COVID crisis has really brought out the value in, in travel professionals. Uh, you know, when you hear the stories about people being on hold with Costco for, you know, seven, eight hours and, and other OTAs and stuff like that. that and, some have and, gone out of business completely. Some, some of the have gone out of business. And, and you know, uh, which kind of brings me to, to the next question is, you know, in this post-COVID-19 environment, when we start going on, at this point in time, uh, are you are you booking are you booking new business right now? Um, I've had a few requests from established clients for December and February break. Um, other than that, uh, you know, I tell you the same thing that I told the New York State Department of Labor. I've had no business in the last month. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, so, but that's okay. I. I I've spoken to many of my clients and, and I think that there's plenty of seeds being planted for the future. Are there suppliers that I'm focused on and suppliers? Uh, okay. So I don't like to be a negative person. There are obviously right. a couple of, a couple of DMCs and a couple of people that um, maybe our bridges are burnt a little bit. And that was tough on both sides, right? Cause right. these are people that I work with weekly. I'm very loyal. So for certain countries, I will just work with the same destination management supplier over and over and over again. And, then when I call them and I'm getting a party line response, you know, oh, the European Union says we don't have to give a refund and yeah. that's rough. I'm trying not to focus on those. I'm instead trying to focus on the heroes and the, you know, I would tell you, I thought that Delta's response was really terrific that they've, you know, continued to lead the fray in terms of expanding how long their credits are going to be good for. And it's so helpful to us when clients are willing to take those credits rather than canceling. I've had a couple of suppliers. I had a, uh, one in Israel that I, unfortunately, my client lost his job and his wife also got furloughed and they were totally beyond final. They were, you know, in penalty. Yeah. And this supplier really just had um, a lot of sympathy for the situation and, and took care of it appropriately. And we were able to get them their money back. You know, it, it's, uh, it is just interesting to see how people come together and I'm trying to focus on the positive aspects of that. I get what they're trying to do in some cases, but you know, the reality of it is, is, you know, you, you take care of the clients at, at the end of the day and that's where they go. One last question for you. So we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff here today and you've had great success and obviously, you know, you, you know me, I'm the wealthy travel agent. Uh, and, and, and so what would be your definition of the wealthy travel agent? If you have clients that become like friends, I'm not saying that it means you have to go out and socialize with them, but that you care about them and you know their habits and you know what's going to make them happy and sad and you know to call the hotel and say, please make sure that they have a foam pillow for an allergy or make sure that, you know, they have a coffee maker in the room, whatever that thing is that makes yeah. your client's experience elevated, um, improves your relationship with your client and makes you a wealthy travel agent. 
Yeah. And not because you just checked out a box in the form, put that, put that coffee maker in the room or put that's no. because you actually know that and you know them and you know what it's all about. Exactly. I, I love that. That's uh, everyone has their own definition and most people just assume that it's, you know, wealth as far as monetary wealth. And it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's about, you know, how you define it, the lifestyle you want to have, the business you want to have and the relationship you have with your friends, your family and your, and your businesses as a whole is what really defines what that is. But it's also about the relationships that you have with your suppliers. Yes. Because it's really the supplier on the other end who's able to say to you, you know what, Rebecca, it's their anniversary. Would, would you like to have a picture of their kids sitting next to their bed when they get into the room? Uh, or, you know, oh, he loves to run. How about if we give him a map of the best running paths in the neighborhood? Those, if you don't have those relationships with the suppliers, you can't really wow your clients. So I think in order to be truly wealthy, you have to have the relationships on both sides. Of it the, is, uh, it is. It's a true partnership all the way around. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights. It's been extremely helpful. I know I've learned a lot uh, and, and been you. very inspired about that from you as well. I would like to invite everyone to who's listening to the podcast to please go and like the podcast, review it. And, uh, if you have any questions at all, you know how to reach me at dan at wealthytravelagent.com. If you have any, uh, if you'd like to learn more about the programs we have, please visit us at wealthytravelagent.com. And we look forward to seeing you at our next episode. Thanks, Dan.